Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are pretty funky, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. I love that you put in funky. I don't know. Just feeling funky this week. I don't know what else to say. I've been following Flea on Twitter, so I've been thinking about the Chili Peppers and maybe it's like some little bit. Yeah, that's such a funky band. Totally. (laughs) My favorite stuff by them is actually that they're less funky stuff, the more kind of stripped down Californication type stuff. But they they got a lot of funk in there as well. What about Under the Bridge? I think that's maybe my favorite song, maybe because it feels so nostalgic. Yeah, that's a very nostalgic song. Good song. Good song. Not my favorite. I prefer maybe like Soul to Squeeze. Right. That's a good one. Right. Yeah. And John Frusciante is back in the band, a longtime guitar player, and they just put out a new record, actually. Okay. Well, when we introduce our guest, we're going to have to ask her what her favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers song is. So I hope she starts thinking about it. Gotta find out. Remember how they were on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack? I don't remember that, but it sounds very likely. I think they were, but I could be wrong. So, Jonah, in honor of the 4th of July, many people's favorite holiday, including our dad, who was born on the 3rd of July. Yep, that is true. Both of our parents born in July. Yeah. Our dad born on the 3rd of July, not to be confused with Tom Cruise's character born on the 4th of July. Remember that movie? I do. Okay. I was thinking, like, did our family have, like, traditions growing up on the 4th of July? And one was, we lived on this street called Mill Creek. And then there were these streets called Strawberry and Giles that were sort of in a row off of Chagrin Boulevard. And so we would have like a 4th of July parade and then a softball game between like Mill Creek and Strawberry and Giles, I guess. I don't know exactly how Giles played in, but I just remember our street Mill Creek would always kind of like not do great, except that we had this one neighbor who was like really strong. I don't remember our neighbor. Because remember our neighbors, the Harveys? Yes. One of the kids was like super good at baseball. Okay. Any points that Mill Creek would get would be because of him. But then like, Strawberry and Giles would always beat us. Got it. Uh, did we play at the actual sports field at the school? We played at a softball or like baseball diamond outside somewhere, but I don't know which one we played at. I think I was... It must have been at school. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird because I remember getting flyers about it or yeah. something. I mean, it seems like so old fashioned. It seemed like that would never happen today. Yeah. I mean, does that happen? I don't know. Maybe our guests will know. Like maybe if you live in more of like a suburban neighborhood, they do that kind of stuff. But I don't think they do that where I live now. I mean, I've never seen anything 
anything like that. But I remember going to the games and really wanting to win. I don't remember really playing. I don't know. I remember really wanting to win too. And it being like really disappointing that it was sort of like, assume that Mill Creek wouldn't win because we were like the less athletic street. (laughs) Yeah, which it's like kind of weird because it's like, you know, you're not like moving into like a house based on like the athletic abilities of your neighbors. Yeah, it only becomes relevant on the 4th of July. Now, I don't remember, were we playing Giles and then Strawberry? It feels like Giles and Strawberry played together or something. I guess it would depend probably every year. Like now thinking about it as an adult, probably not everyone went. And so they probably... Probably most people did not go. (laughs) (laughs) If I was invited to that now, I would definitely not go. Like, I feel like it was probably families that had kids. And then it was like, we'll either like do Giles and Strawberry versus Mill Creek if more Mill Creek people showed up or Strawberry and Mill Creek versus Giles. You seem really hung up on how the teams were divided up. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I just feel like nobody ever really helped Mill Creek out in a way that is like honestly rude. Well, I mean, it seems like you're still really holding on to that. So it's good for you to put that out there. Maybe someone will step up and take responsibility for it. (laughs) So I wonder, yeah, we should ask today's guest about her 4th of July memories. Maybe she has a softball game, parade, something like that. Vanessa, do you want to go ahead and introduce her? I would love to. Our guest today is an actress, comedian, and musician who you might know from her band or her IFC show, Garfunkel Notes, or from her roles in things such as Raising Hope, The Big Bang Theory, the film The Little Hours, or as the voice of so many things you love, such as the Lego movies, DuckTales reboot, and as Velma in the Scooby-Doo franchise. Please welcome our very good friend, Kate Micucci. Hi! Thank you for that intro. Happy 4th of July, everybody! Thank you, Kate. Happy 4th of July to you. It's very fun to be celebrating with you today. (laughs) You too. So, Kate, what is your 4th of July? What does it make you think about? 4th of July is very exciting. When I'm home in Pennsylvania, there's always a kazoo parade in my town. And not to pat myself on the back, but I was the one that kind of got it going again because it like went away for a while. But basically, one 4th of July, I happened to be home and there was like a small small gathering of people like my mom and I like we're just driving through town and we see like 10 people with kazoos like marching and I was like what is that and my mom was like oh that's the 4th of July kazoo parade in our town and I was like our town has this kazoo parade that is so cute like I was so excited I, I love parades so much I usually cry whenever I see a parade <laughs> and if I'm in a parade forget it I cry the whole time <laughs> I got to be in a parade at Disneyland and I just sobbed I was next to Goofy and I sobbed and smiled the entire time it was embarrassing but also very thrilling but anyway so i see this small group of people with their kazoos and i was like so like just tickled by the whole idea i was like this is so cool and then they like stopped doing it because they didn't have a very good turnout so the next few years they didn't have the parade when was it that you saw that people with like 10 kazoos were you like probably 25 or 26 i just happened to be visiting my mom and dad okay so you don't remember it from when you were a kid no they didn't have it when i was a kid it was something that started later okay okay but i was just like i just thought it was such a cute idea and Oh, by the way, you do patriotic songs as you kazoo. So kazoo, that makes sense. Yeah. And then it just went away. And then I ended up my very first time on any kind of late night talk show. I was on Jimmy Kimmel like, and I was like 28 years old. And I told the story about how my town has a kazoo parade and that they got rid of it. And it was like, you know, unfortunate that they don't have it anymore on the 4th of July. And then the mayor of my town reached out to me and said, we'll bring it back if you promise to be the Grand Marshal. Oh, my God. And I was like, sign me up. And so the next 4th of July, we had this crazy turn. It was like, I don't know, maybe 100 people showed up. And my dad was in a Jeep with our dog. (laughs) And we decorated it all red, white, and blue. And I dressed up. I went to the Hollywood Toys and Costume Shop on Hollywood Boulevard. And I got a Uncle Sam outfit. But the only one they had was a kid size. So I was wearing this like small Uncle Sam outfit with a beard. And I led the parade and everybody got into different groups and were assigned different songs, patriotic songs. And my whole family, my aunts, my cousins, everybody came out and it was so great. And I did cry, (laughs) but it was just such a fun, like, I felt like we did it. We brought back the parade and they continued to do it. So yeah, pretty nice. Wow. That's incredible. So they do it every year now. Yep. Have you been back at all since you were Grand Marshal? I did it one other time, I think. Yeah. Often it doesn't end up that I'm home on the 4th of July, but if I am, then I'm definitely doing the parade. Yeah. I mean, the most important that you got it going again. That's so incredible. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, I am really proud of it. You know, it's a really sweet thing and I'm from a very small town in Pennsylvania and it's like a really pretty town with all those like Victorian homes and usually on the 4th of July it's like you know east coast blue skies and feels really 
just pretty and and homey. So yeah, I'm I'm not gonna be able to go this year, but but I don't know if in LA if you're ever looking for a cool thing to do, they do the boat parade in Venice in the canals, and I've done that as well. I love to decorate things, and of course, be in a parade. So my cousin who used to live on the canals, we would decorate his boats, and it's pretty cute. But um, anyway, wow, that's so incredible. <laughs> when I was at overnight camp, I'm now remembering we used to go out on a pontoon boat that was decorated for 4th of July or like some people would go out on canoes and some people would go out on other boats and we would decorate them and just go across Leesville Lake and sort of be patriotic. So you were usually at overnight camp that would like end up over the 4th of July? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And where was this camp? It was near Canton, Ohio. Firebird and Roosevelt camps. They were in Ohio and they were on this lake and we would go out on the water on 4th of July and just like do like our own little, I guess you could call it a small water show. boat parade, etc. That sounds great. It was really, really fun. It was really cool. Was it like a classic camp, like archery and boats and swimming yes, and all that totally. kind of stuff? and horseback riding. And actually, our dad went to the Roosevelt, the boys camp when he was a kid. And actually, Jonah, I don't know if you know this, but our parents got engaged at my camp. What? I never knew that. Yeah. Our parents got engaged like on the like dock at Firebird Camp. Wow. Because my dad was friends with like, it's like been in our family history, this camp for like a long time. And I don't know if you know this, Jonah, our mom proposed to our dad. What? I didn't know that. I did not know that either of these things. Wait, this is big deal. (laughs) Especially like back then, I want to say, I mean, you know, I think it's, they've been married 45 years. And uh, (laughs) I love that I know this. And I think back then it was very unusual for a woman to propose to the man, right? Well, I wanted to say the reason Kate knows how long our parents have been engaged is because she made them an incredible gift for their, I think their 40th anniversary it was the 40th yeah she made them like a piece of art it was really nice but anyway hanging up at their place right now that's so sweet but i've asked our mom about it because she like mentioned it to me once and i like asked her about it again and i was like how did that happen and i guess they were on the dock and our mom was just this is how she explains it i hope i'm getting this right but she said she was just sort of like so do you want to like i don't know <laughs> she wasn't like proposed like will you marry me thing i think she was just kind of like so should we kind of get or whatever wow <laughs> and our dad was like yeah i think that sounds great so there was no getting on one knee it was just like i don't super think casual. so but they were at a very <laughs> incredible place they were at a beautiful lake you know I, we should interview your mom and dad about this yes. but i think like it was probably the beautiful scenery that like kind of like she took it all in and thought well this seems right like yes. yeah yeah. So it was because of that camp. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe I feel like I should have known that. Jonah, did you go to this camp too? I never went to this camp. Our mom worked at the Jewish Community Center growing up. So I went to like camps there. And then I went to an overnight camp, an all boys overnight camp for two summers in Wisconsin. But I think my dad went to high school with the owner of this camp. So somehow yes. there was some kind of connection. His ex-wife's dad owned it. So there was a connection. Got it. I wasn't sure what it was, but... Yeah, I went one summer for eight weeks, which felt like a really long, it felt like it was like forever. My parents came up and visited at one point, but I remember I really wanted to go home. I think at first it was like, I don't know, I wasn't used to being away from home. And then I kind of adjusted and I think I liked it. But I think once I was like old enough to drive and stuff, I was like, yeah, I just want to hang out with my friends. I don't want to go to Wisconsin and do like a climbing wall or something. It's fair enough. Yeah. It would be cool now. It would be cool to do. But, you know, back then you just want to play guitar hang out right you know what i'm talking about i think you were way cooler than i was <laughs> I, that's what i think too i don't think so i think i was just into kind of different stuff i guess at that point i was very much a homebody i went to sleepaway camp for one week when i was 12 and i cried every single day and they wouldn't let me call my parents and it just made everything worse and i was just such a homebody and so attached to my mom and dad and it was a music camp and then by the time they picked me up. I was just a wreck. I was just like, I'm never going back. It's tough. We talked about this. We had Michael Showalter on the podcast and we talked about Wet Hot American Summer a lot. And I read a letter where I was like, I had the best day at camp. Like we went to Dave's gun shop and shot guns. <laughs> and it's like insane. Like all these little kids are where we were like shooting skeets. They had guns. At That's like, crazy. Yeah. I mean, it just seems totally insane now. But back then it was just that it was like archery, like shooting. Like it was just part of like the camp curriculum. Wow. Yeah. 
I loved camp, but it took me a few tries. Like I went to like sort of the sister camp to the camp Jonah went to in Wisconsin for one summer. I was like, I had a good time. You know, that was like a fancier camp. Well, before that, I went to a JCC camp for like a couple weeks and I like had an okay time. And then I went to this camp that our dad, like the sister camp to this camp our dad went to growing up where our parents got engaged. And it was more of a kind of like, for lack of a better word like down and dirty camp like where it's just like you gotta take care of yourself like our parents were like I don't know if we'd necessarily send you there when you were like really young Kate did you ever go to like a camp when you were in like middle school as like part of your like middle school experience like with your whole school you know we did yeah sixth grade which was still considered elementary school but our final trip for sixth grade was to this place called Spears Eljabar. <laughs> and it was very much like it was one night, you know, I remember going on the buses. And also, I remember being very nervous to go to sleepaway camp. But it was, you know, I think there was a lake. And I just remember we did that, the, like camp songs like, hi, my name's Joe. And I work in a button factory. Do you remember that one? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I remember learning that there and thinking that was a really good song. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jonah, what was your camp during school? Because we had a different one than you, I think. We went to Hiram House Camp. Oh. Which was a kid at our school, BJ, his parents owned this summer camp like in our neighborhood and near the birthplace of James A. Garfield, president. We would go there and I think we went there for like... President of the United States. Yes. <laughs> uh, for a couple, I don't remember, like a couple days, but I think it was, I think they said in sixth grade or something. Yeah, like I think they have, this whole school goes there for like a day or a couple days or something. We had one where I think we were maybe the first year we didn't go to Hiram House and we went to this like environmental, like it was kind of a cool place. It was like a place where they like did all this work on like conservation and the environment. And I remember like our grade went there and like everyone would eat dinner and it was like anything you didn't eat, you had to like put in this like container in the middle of the table. And then I think they would put it into like some kind of composting or something. Yeah, like composting. But they were like, this is should teach you not to take more food than you can eat because it's like wasteful. <laughs> but it also was kind of like, but you guys made all this food. So like you're going to have to get rid of it either way. You know what I mean? Also feels really kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, what's your problem? I remember the thing that was like a real bummer for me was like, we were in this building sort of and we were divided into these like big rooms where we would sleep. So there'd maybe be like 12 people in a room. And I remember I didn't get put in a room with anyone I really was that close with. But the thing that was cool was each room had like a teacher like would sleep in the room with you, like as your like chaperone, chaperone or whatever. And we got this teacher, Miss Merchant, who was like really young and really cool. That was like the trade off for me was like, I'm not in a room with people that I'm friends with, but I am in a room with Miss Merchant. But the thing that really stung was at one point we were playing like a game like not really truth or dare but like a milder version of that that felt like responsible to play with like a group of like sixth graders and we asked Miss Merchant we were like you've been hanging out with like the gym teacher Mr. Apple a lot like are you guys like a thing? And Miss Merchant was like, no, you know, she gave us like a really good answer. She was like, the thing is, a lot of the other faculty are much older than us. And so because we're kind of like the same age, we just tend to like hang out a lot because we just like get along because we're kind of like from the same generation. And we were like, okay, cut to like a year later and they're engaged and she's like pregnant. <laughs> we were like, um, Miss Merchant definitely lied to us. <laughs> now, if she's listening, I just want to say like, I don't blame her. That was the right thing to do. It would have been really weird if she was like, yeah, like we've only been on a few dates that I really like. Yeah, like them. I'm not sure where it's going yet. You know, <laughs> yeah, thanks yeah, to like a little kid who's like her student. So I want to say in retrospect, she did the right thing. But as a kid, it was like, what the hell? <laughs> How dare she lie to you? Yeah. Also, that's kind of cool. Was it also like, hey, they got together. Yeah. Like It also was a little bit like, okay, we were right. Like, yeah. trust your instincts. <laughs> I think there were multiple teachers at our school when we were kids who ended up like, dating or something. Oh, yeah, there were. And after we left, one of them was our French teacher, Mrs. Mauser, started dating. And I don't think they're still married, but got married to Mr. Oberster. And Mrs. Mauser really hated my friend Moon, who I ran cross country with. And Mr. Oberster was one of our cross country coaches. And man, did it burn for Moon when he found out that like one of his favorite cross country coaches and his arch enemy French teachers <laughs> together. He was like, I remember like we had just graduated and he like didn't know what to do. It happened like the summer after our first year of college or something. And he was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just think too, like as a student knowing, I can't recall anybody in our school dating other teachers. I mean, I'm sure it happened, but like, 
it sounds like you guys had maybe like some kind of magical thing happening at your school because that would be very exciting to watch unfold. Jonah, can you think of anyone else? Yeah, I think Mr. Edwards, who is our keyboarding teacher, I think he married one of the art teachers. And, you know, I don't know if you like keyboarding at your school. Yeah. Like typing. So we had it for some reason they kept moving the grade it was in. So you were supposed to take it in fifth grade and then they moved it to sixth grade when I was in sixth grade and then they moved it to seventh <laughs> wow. grade when I was in seventh grade. So my class took it three years in a row. <laughs> and I got to say, it's probably the most useful thing I learned in high school because I am such a fast typer now. Yeah. It's like so efficient because I did it for three years. And like, you know, like when you're a kid, like it's like the words per minute, you're trying to be accurate and get speed. And now I like, I'm such a good typist. I have to transcribe things all the time. I write professionally. And so I would like to thank Mr. Edwards for wow. teaching me typing for three years. I didn't like it at the time, but it's it's really useful, way more useful than like calculus or something. I agree. I think we had fifth, sixth and seventh grade all in, in Brady Middle School, all in the same school. And I think we had to take it at least two years. I feel like we took it more than one year. And I agree. It's like the most helpful thing. Like a lot of people, I remember like when we'd be like up late typing at like SNL or something, a lot of people would type with like one finger like they didn't know how to like do the whole. And I was like, it made me feel like, oh God, it was so great that we were so lucky that we had keyboarding. I agree with you. It's like probably like the most important thing we learned. Yeah. Kate, what about you? I remember thinking, I'm not going to need this. Right. Like I fought it. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not really. I don't really like computers. Like that's where my head was at. And that's just really, I was so dumb about that. <laughs> I should have paid more attention. I think I'm an okay typer. I'm not super fast, but I don't think I got the proper you know, like whatever that, uh, I don't know what you call it, but I, you know, I get by. Yeah. The ASDF. You got to be, yeah. ASDF, JKL, SEM. Do you know what your, what your WPM is these days? Kate? Couldn't tell you, but you know, now I kind of want to go do a test. We should I'll all get back do a test. <laughs> and you know, to, to think about being a kid in Brady middle school and know that like, you know, 30, 25, 30 years later, we'd be thanking Mr. Edwards. I mean, incredible. And I do want to thank him. He really had a positive impact on our lives. Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, we will be back with more with Kate Micucci after this break. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
And we're back. So Kate, Jonah and I were talking about how when we were younger, Jonah used to like call into the radio and win us concert tickets a lot. Like we've talked a lot on here about how he took me to Lilith Fair and it was kind of like my first concert and he had his first cappuccino ever there. And (laughs) there have been other concerts since that. But we wanted to talk to you about this because we know that you have kind of a history with calling in for concert tickets as well. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I was like, I would say obsessive. I got really competitive in the radio contest what I don't know what you'd call it radio contest market I don't know what it's called every weekend it seemed in my town the certain radio stations would have like usually they were kind of weekend giveaways and also because I was home on the weekends I really focused on those mostly but my dad's an electrician and so we had the business line and we had the home line so we had two phone lines at the house which was a great advantage to me because I would go to my dad's office and I would have the two phones and I would just start dialing once the you know they had said the contest and I would just dial the number on both phones and then be like one ear (laughs) one ear going back and forth and then if I got through it was like yes and you so basically it was always busy 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 and then if it rang you were like okay I might have a shot I got really really good at this so good that at one point they said is this Kate Micucci I'm sorry you can't win anymore right now (laughs) (laughs) they're like we gotta take a break (laughs) like did you like going to concerts was it just like the idea of just winning something was it and would you go to the concerts yes I love contests yeah it wasn't so much about even the prize I remember one time I just won like a basket of sausages from this like <laughs> sausage place at the mall. I didn't even care what the heck it was. I just was like, I want to win. And I thought I really like I did. I had a system and it kind of seemed to work. But what really got me into it, and this is sort of a crazy story, B104, which was like my main radio station. In fact, I was just home and I always listen to B104. It's pop, you know, <laughs> what's the latest and the greatest. So B104 would do this thing where they were giving out a thousand dollars, which is like and this is 1996. Yeah. So it's like a lot of money. And so they were giving out $1,000 if you could guess the voice of this little clip that they would play. And the clip was so obscure and like it was like two seconds. So it would take a very, very long time for someone to guess. Like it would go, you know, like a month would go by before they got an answer. And this was always the morning. This was like a weekday thing. And they would do it at like 9 a.m. in the morning. Somebody had just won the day before. And I don't remember what that person was, who the actress or actor was. It was usually like famous people that obviously famous people you'd have to guess. And then it just so happened that this day it was a brand new like, OK, you know, we here we go. New voice. Guess who it is? And I had a fever, a really bad fever. And so I was home from school that day and I just like put my head to the radio and I like had this like thing come over me and I just knew like I just knew who it was so I heard the voice it was like like so quick and I looked at my mom and I'm like mom it's stalker Channing <laughs> and I was like really sick and she was like what I'm like call you should call in it's stalker Channing and I just like knew <laughs> and here's the other weird thing I hadn't even seen Grease the only movie I had seen with stalker Channing was Too Wong Fu Thanks for Everything Julie Newmar I had seen it maybe like six months prior and so I was just like, I know who this is. You should call mom, call in. And my mom was like, really? And then, so I'm in the living room and I'm watching her and (laughs) she's like, hello. Like she gets through. She's like, hi. Um, And like, she's got this nervous voice and she's just like, "Um, yes, hi. Um, My daughter says it's Stalker Channing. (laughs) And you just hear silence. And then the DJ goes, how did she know that? And my mom's like, well, she has a fever and she put her head to the radio and she just kind of knew. And he was like, you just won a thousand dollars. And we were like, what? And it was like so exciting. And then, and then, uh, and he goes, what are you going to do with the money? And our, our dog had just died and um, we didn't have a lot of money. And so we wanted to get another dog. And so I was like, we're going to get a dog. And it was like so exciting. And, and anyway, it was just one of the best moments of my entire life. And it was really that, that then I was like, well, then I got to win more stuff. And then that began my obsession with like winning sausages or whatever else. But yeah, it was a really, really great thing. Incredible. And Kate, would you call from school? Yes. So then I got really like obsessive to a point that maybe was a little unhealthy because I was like, if I just won that much money, what else can I win? And I won Billy Joel tickets, which was very cool. He's one of my very, very favorites. In fact, I have a Billy Joel t-shirt collection and like he's my favorite, really. And then I know some people think he's not cool, but I 
think he's very cool. And then I would take my little tiny Walkman. I had like this like mini Walkman that was yellow, uh-huh. but like not the one that had the cassette in it. It was just like tiny. And I'd keep it in my pocket and I'd have a little earpiece up to my ear and I'd be in class. <laughs> and then I'd hear, oh, it's time to go do the contest. And I would say, hi, can I go to the bathroom? And then I'd run to the payphone in the high school and I would just be there with the quarter. And then, you know, like if it's busy, the quarter shoots back at you and you just go. And then so I got like a little bit obsessive. And I then I was like, I got to stop. I got to stop doing this. Like I'm missing class. I'm missing lessons. Did you ever win anything at school on the payphone? No, I think it was too much pressure. And also I only had one phone and a payphone is slower right so but i love contests like to the same extent like when i first moved out to la and i started doing commercial auditions i just looked at them as contests because like there's really no like you go in you say one line and like pretend to eat a candy bar or something and they're like okay great and then they call you back and then you go and you do the shoot and i was like oh this is so easy i thought it was like i was very lucky at the beginning and um it then eventually got very hard and i was like oh but for a while i was like this is just a contest this is great um so i just i love contests coloring contests forget about it did you guys do coloring contests? I don't think so. What do you mean? Do you mean like in the newspaper when they'd be? It would like, be like often at the drugstore or the grocery store, like for Easter, they'd like give, you know, you'd have to color in the, the bunny and then you bring it back to the grocery store and then people would vote. Did they do that in your town? And did you win <laughs> some of those? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I have a very cool Yamaha Kitar from 1988 that I won from ShopRite. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I just really got excited about contests. No, that's no, great. No, that's exciting. We only won concert tickets. I won these Lilith Fair tickets. That's what I was just going to ask you about, because I've heard you guys talk about this, and I wish I could go back in time and see Lilith Fair. That, to me, is like the ultimate. That's just so cool. Yeah, we got to talk about We recently had Lisa Loeb on the podcast, and she performed at Lilith Fair. And so we got some kind of inside info about her touring with Sarah McLaughlin, and I felt like that was kind of really interesting to learn about. Yeah. Well, Jonah, the first thing we ever won was we won a Nintendo. We've talked about this on here. What? When Nintendo came out, our parents were like, no way, not for our kids. We're not going to get you one. But then we went to a Purim carnival at our temple, and they had a raffle, and we each put five tickets. Each ticket was a dollar. We each got five tickets, and we put all of our tickets in to win a Nintendo, and we won. And it was like, Incredible. Was it with Duck Hunt? Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It was with Duck Hunt. And Mario. And Mario Brothers, yeah. The OG. Yeah. And it was like life changing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was incredible. I won tickets and took Vanessa to see Poison. <laughs> wow. At Blossom Music Center in Cleveland. And that was a weird show because it was like clearly very undersold. Like it was at one of those big amphitheaters. And then they were like, do you guys want to not sit in the lawn? You can sit close to the state. Like, I think they didn't want it to look totally empty. To be clear, like when Jonah won Lilith Fair tickets, it was like the height of all those musicians. And that was like in the 90s. When we saw Poison, it was probably, like, I don't know what, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It was like ago. a reunion kind of a thing where it was like Got it. Poison and Vince Neil and Vince Neil and maybe Skid Row without Sebastian Bach. Is that possible? Yeah. The thing that I remember thinking was like so weird was that Brett Michaels, lead singer of Poison, was every time he'd sing a new song, he'd be wearing a different piece of Poison merch, like a different Poison (laughs) shirt. But then, Jonah, you told me that that's something he's always done. Yeah, I think that's his thing. That's his thing. He's got the bandana. He's got the Poison shirt. I think it's like a marketing thing. So it's, I was going to say, is it about like people there going, oh, I'd like that shirt. Oh, I should get that bandana. Yeah, it is. It felt sort of like if he used to wear like cool, you know, like other things. And then like now on this reunion tour, when he's much older, he's like just wearing the merch. It felt like. I think he's done that a long time, though. I think like those types of bands are like the only types of bands that get away wearing their own merch. Like I feel like. Yeah. Iron Maiden or like Poison or these kinds of bands. Like it's something they do where it's like it would be weird sort of to see bands now wearing their own merch. Yeah. Like if Taylor Swift was wearing a Taylor Swift t-shirt at her concert. <laughs> yeah. It sort of is like a callback from like a more innocent time when like they probably have been doing that forever. As you said, they have been like in the 80s and 90s, people were probably like, cool, I want to buy that shirt and weren't as like aware of like marketing and how like that's exactly why they were doing it. Whereas like now, if someone in like a newer band was like wearing their band shirt, you'd be like, okay, I guess they suck. It worked on me. Like I remember seeing like Metallica, like Sabatru video and Jason Newstead's wearing like a Metallica shirt. And I'm like, oh, I want that exact shirt because this guy looks so cool in this video. The only thing weirder would be if they had like a little sticker that says like 
$39.99 on the, like, you know, because they're always so expensive. Those t-shirts at concerts are crazy expensive. Yeah. But yeah, like the bandana, $19.99. Like, oh, it's like a total commercial. But yeah, no, I feel really like bad for families who go to like see a big concert and they bring like all their kids and then have to buy the t-shirts because that's like right. it's insanely expensive. But it's how they make money now, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, there's all this stuff with like, you know, some venues and take a cut of the merch. And it's it's just, yeah, the whole business model is just really crazy but yeah i was looking at concert tickets recently and they're they're so expensive i mean everything is just so expensive and i think touring is so expensive and so maybe i gotta start trying to enter some more contests i guess i don't listen to enough like regular radio now either except for when i go home to listen to b104 but like i don't know if contests are happening as much as they used to maybe yeah i'd be curious maybe did you get a t-shirt at lilith fair good question that's a great Vanessa. did you get a t-shirt you probably did i bet i did i bet i did i still have my first concert t-shirt ever from 1990 and it's this is incredible phil collins but seriously tour oh you know i still have my first concert t-shirt as well three dog nights wow whoa yeah impressive yeah what's cool about this shirt is i wrote an article about it too is on the back instead of listing the cities Phil Collins just lists the countries oh wow like it's just the flags and it's like 50 countries which I feel like is a real pretty impressive move you saw him this is what would have been like the height of like his solo stuff really yeah I was like 12 he did a whole like big drum solo oh wow I mean there were two drummer he played did a solo with another drummer it it was cool I went with my my cousin Jed and my uncle Jimmy and then my second concert was actually I went with this kid Jason from my school and we with his family and we saw Genesis yeah. on the weekend dance tour. And then third, my mom took me to see Guns N' Roses and Skid Row on the Use Your Illusion tours. And I did get a t-shirt and I lost it at travel camp. So it all comes full circle. Oh man. It does come full circle. That is really <laughs> full circle. Yeah. It's funny we're now talking about this because this morning, I don't know what made me think of this. Maybe I was having some kind of psychic thing that we were going to be talking. Oh, I guess I should mention just to bring it back to me, like having a psychic. Uh, I'm not saying I'm psychic, but I have had so many weird, like such as the Stockard Channing, like how the heck did I know that? I don't know. But I've had numerous times like the time that i went to go look at a house and i just knew that the person had been murdered there it was really weird wow. yeah <laughs> anyway that's another story for another day but um I, I have to look up i'm gonna look up this concert i went to see because i had this thought that like well hold on let me just see hopefully this won't take too long crimson and clover who sang that crimson and clover i know it's a very famous song maybe this guy just sang it and it wasn't his song oh well but i i can skip it the whole point was i was gonna say that the equivalent of me seeing this guy when I was 12 would be like people going to see Sync now, which is so sad to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's like 25 years of this. You mean like... You- like, I saw this guy in like 91 and his song was popular in like the late 60s. Yeah. And that's the equivalent of now going to see something from like... 2000 you know like yeah but i thought it was so old you know but then that just makes me feel old it feels like a lot of bands that i mean when we saw poison it was kind of like that you know like we saw poison probably in the early 2000s and they had been really big in like the 80s you know and night and like it seems like a lot of bands jonah i feel like we were just talking about this like a lot of bands that you remember from when you were a kid are like on tour now and they just do every band is still together. I mean, it's wild because I will go on Wikipedia all the time and I will search bands and then I'll go to all the members. I'll be like, what are all these members doing? And I would say like 90% of like every band is together in some formation. A lot of the bands from those genres, it's like not a lot of original members. Like usually there's like one guy. I think especially now it's the nostalgia. Totally. It's like people want they're craving it. And it's also a way to make you know, money, it's like, it pays to keep the band together. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting is though, like how little it seems to matter as long as you have the singer. Yeah. Because it seems like, I feel like the average music fan, even if they really like a band, like might not even know who the drummer is or the bass player, or, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I couldn't tell you from, you know, unless it's like a boy band where you have to know each member. Right. right. I don't, right. I definitely don't know who like, I don't know. Well, and Vanessa, we saw Goo Goo Dolls a few years ago. It was very nostalgic. Oh yeah. You did? I didn't know that. Wait, Jonah, were you there? It was. No, I was not there. No, Jonah wasn't there. It was at that racetrack where we were performing but we went early where I guess you performed that day and I went early to meet you so we could go see the Goo Goo Dolls on Aerosmith really we were performing at like a music and comedy festival in where were we some racetrack <laughs> but it was like somewhere not in 
New York or LA. It was, it like, was like south of LA, like maybe in two hours or something. Like oh, San Diego. Yeah. It was like in San Diego, I think. But I don't think I lived in LA yet. So I would like travel. You didn't. It was called like, I don't remember. But yeah, we were in like San Diego and we saw like Goo Goo Dolls. That's so funny. Kate. And that guy like recognized us and he let us watch from like way up high. Like we went to like some parking garage or something to watch. Yeah. And then Aerosmith started while Goo Goo Dolls were still like finishing up. It was just like Aerosmith and then like everybody left. It was like Goo Goo Dolls started at the end of their set, started playing like their new stuff. And it was just like everybody, just a wave of people leaving. But also I think because Aerosmith was about to start. Yeah. And I think that's the show where it was like I was doing stand up in like a tent or something, but I was up against like Semisonic or something. Like there was like some 90s band that either you could see me do stand up or you could see this like 90s band play. And like, I think a lot of people pick the 90s band. <laughs> it was not Semisonic. God, I wish I could remember who I was up against. I'm going to try and find it. There's nothing like being in the comedy tent when there's like a really loud band happening like right next to you too. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What was that festival called? Uh, I'm actually, I read the, I think I've talked about it. I read Jacob, the drummer for Semisonic's memoir recently. How is it? It's really good. I've talked to him on Twitter a little bit and it's it's really good. Good. It's like this really interesting look into like 90s rock stardom, like when the music industry still had money and how yeah. they got set up and how they had this hit and the videos and it's just this culture that like no longer exists. Oh, Semisonic. I know this band, of course, because I, kn- I-, I know Dan Wilson. I should read this guy's book. Yeah, you should read it. The name of the festival we went to, by the way, Kate, was called Kaboo. Yeah. That's right. It was in Del Mar, California. That's right. And other confirmed comedy was Sarah Silverman, Dana Carvey, Natasha Leggero, and Jeff Ross. And then the music was Aerosmith, Blues Traveler, Capital City, Cold War Kids, Flo Rida, Goo Goo Dolls, Fall Out Boy, and many more. That's a really good lineup. I mean, a really nostalgic festival, too, in terms of the bands, like so nostalgic yeah and recent guest to our podcast joe troman from fallout boy Did you hang with joe there yes exactly i don't think i saw joe there so who are you up against do you know god i'm trying to get this website to work that shows like all of the bands that were there i think i was up against like like a band who wasn't big enough to be on that list i guess it was a band who wasn't big enough to be on that list what year was it i am curious what year that was i couldn't tell you kaboo del mar 2016 hold on let me look this up i I know who it was. I know who it was. I was up against Third Eye Blind. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I was up against Third Eye Blind, who you guys may know from the song. Semi-Charmed Life? Yes. Oh, yeah. Is that I it? always get Third Eye Blind and Matchbox 20 confused. Me too. You do? Yes. Because I was just thinking Rob Thomas, but no, that's Matchbox 20. Right. So. Yes. Semi-Charmed Life, Jumper, How's It Gonna Be? Those are the big ones. For me, that is my freshman year of college. And I just think I was terrified that whole time. <laughs> If you guys were at a festival, would you pick me over Third Eye Blind? Absolutely, 100%. I definitely would. Although, you know, I think the Goo Goo Dolls started out as like a punk band. And I think maybe Matchbox 20 was kind of like heavier when they started out. But I always thought that Matchbox 20 had such an odd sort of first hit, which was the song about I want to push you around. (sighs) It was like... What the hell? But yeah, I'm wrong about Matchbox 20. But yeah, that's a that's a good point. Maybe Third Eye Blind started out kind of like more. I don't know. I never listened to any of these bands. I, I, they were not my thing. I was very much whatever the radio fed me. So I. Yeah. 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 Same. Like, I'd be so shocked for someone to be like, my favorite band is Third Eye Blind. But that's really I mean, some people love semi charm life. You know, it's got a great beat and a great tempo yeah they're catchy they're catchy i'm now just hung up i had to look up the chorus because i'm not a lyric person i don't hear lyrics semi-charm kind of life push you around i want to push you around i will i will i want to push you around i will i will i want to take you for granted i want to take you for granted i will that's crazy and people are like this band rules and we got to get every single it was such a weird song to be like this is how we want to <laughs> present ourselves to the world but it worked i've never paid attention to the lyrics it's a catchy song cut to rob thomas and santana oh yeah that that's a good one i know you know i actually had tickets one tickets on the radio to see santana and couldn't go but i did this music camp in oberlin yeah. this electronic music camp and i was staying with this guy i was in college with after my freshman year who lived there and i don't know why instead of driving back and forth because it was like an hour each way i would 
stayed at this guy's house for a week. He was a very nice guy, but it was, there's like nothing to do in Oberlin. I wanted to borrow his dad's car and he said no. <gasps> and so I couldn't go to the Santana concert. And I was so mad that the second week of this camp, I just commuted from my parents' house. And this is Santana, like the big collaboration. Not yeah, it must have been. I mean, this was after my freshman year of college. This is probably like 99 or yeah, something. Right. This is probably Santana, you know, With smooth all those era. Other, yeah. Yeah. Smooth era. I got to meet Rob Thomas at a wedding and he was just the nicest, sweetest guy. <laughs> and I was so happy. It's so strange that he was like, this is the Matchbox 20 song that we're going to premiere with. And it makes him seem like he's not a nice guy. But I guess <laughs> yeah. maybe he gets it out through his music. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take another quick commercial break. But we'll be right back with Kate McCucci. Hacks is back for season three. And so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, and we're back with Kate Micucci. Now, Kate, if you don't mind, we'd love to play a little game with you now. I would love to play a game. As you know, I love contests. I also like games. Oh, you love contests and games. That's right. Why did I even ask you that? <laughs> Joni, do you want to explain this next segment slash game? Yes. Our next game slash segment is called change.dork. <laughs> change.dork. And you're probably familiar with change.org's mission for social chains, but a lot of people who use the site apparently are not. So I went online and found three of the most ridiculous actual real petitions on change.org. Great. And we're going to talk about three of them. And then at the end, we're all going to pick the one that we would sign out of the three. Perfect. If we had to. Great. If we had to. You don't actually have to. You can if you want to. Yeah. I like to follow through. So we'll see. Okay. So this first one is kind of continuing the theme of the podcast. It's music oriented and it's called... Remove the explicit rating on Funky Town. Wow. This is directed towards Spotify and Apple Music. And it says, there is a grave issue that trumps all other issues in the world currently. And there is one thing that has gone over everybody's head. On streaming platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music, the extremely popular song Funky Town by Lips Inc. is sometimes marked as being explicit. This is simply a tragedy and doesn't allow those who refrain from such music to experience the funk from the late 70s. 
In reviewing the lyrics of the song, it is evident that the song is not explicit at all. This false scarlet letter excludes those potential people from the historical significance the song provides. In a time where inclusivity is at the forefront, this rating is simply anything but. It is not fair to the artist nor the people. Please consider signing this petition to allow others to enter Funky Town. This has 20 signatures. They're trying to get to 100. I did some research. This song is not explicit, but apparently at this point, which was a year ago, it was marked that way. What are your thoughts on this petition, Kate? I think whoever wrote that up was a really great writer. (laughs) I like the idea of like entering into Funky Town. It's really nice. (laughs) I also would sign this. I feel I I agree completely. And um, it's a great song and people should be able to dance to it. So I'm all for it. Would you ever not listen to a song if it was marked explicit? No. Like, would you be like, oh, this is not for me? Again, I don't hear lyrics, so <laughs> I don't really know. It's like, oh, they said that? Oh, what? That means that? So, uh, yeah, it wouldn't matter to me. I also just, I don't really care about swearing. It doesn't bother me one bit. Yeah. How do you feel? Vanessa, what are your thoughts on, on Funky Town? I guess I didn't realize that these parental advisories still existed because it's been such a long time since I've actually, like, gone into a record store and bought like, I guess you'd buy a CD. I don't even know in what way these parental advisories show up. If I think buying... they're showing up on Spotify and Apple Oh, they're Music. showing up on Spotify. Okay, you said that. Okay. Yeah. So I guess this person has a point. It's sort of like this person is taking it upon themselves to sort of like get the word out about this song. It's interesting to me that like the record company or you know, the band aren't the ones who are like, we don't want to have this explicit rating. Like, it seems like they're okay with it. (laughs) And it's really just, yeah. So I've done some research and yeah, Funky Town is on like the Shrek 2 soundtrack. I mean, this is not an offensive song. I I don't see the parental advisory anymore, actually, on Spotify. I'm looking now. So, um, and I did find some other posts about this online in my extensive research. Okay. So this, I think, has been fixed, but I think it's kind of a Maybe va- 20 signatures was enough. Maybe 20 was enough. Yeah, maybe they saw this. But yeah, it looks like it's been fixed. But I get the sentiment, right? Like, yeah, I would not listen to it because of that. But maybe if you have kids or something, you would see that. And if it's not accurate, then that could, you know, not allow people to enter funky town, as this person says. That's as it were. Yeah. So I think this person has actually a good point. He does say in the thing, like, sometimes it's rated explicit. So I think this person was aware even when they wrote it, that it wasn't all always rated as explicit but and again i guess you know coming back to the point of this segment is change.org the place (laughs) 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 to to advocate for this like i I don't know i mean obviously it sounds like this person is being a little bit over the top with it that's kind of why i picked is like okay is this the right venue for this yeah i don't know vanessa do you want to give our second entry here okay so our second petition is remove fudge flakes from ben and jerry's oat of this swirled ice cream now in all caps. The now is in all caps. (laughs) And so this woman says, Ben and Jerry's out of this swirled ice cream has the potential to be one of their greatest flavors. Unfortunately, the entire flavor is overpowered by fudge flakes that bring bring absolutely nothing to the table. The buttery brown sugar ice cream and the oatmeal cinnamon cookie swirls are the real stars of the show, but they'll never see the spotlight as long as fudge flakes remain. Please help me bring this injustice to Ben and Jerry's attention. So it looks like she started this petition to Ben and Jerry's. It was about four years ago since she started it. About 11 people have joined. (laughs) She's one of them. So it looks like they have 10 supporters. And what do you guys think? Again, it's removing fudge flakes from out of this swirled ice cream. You know, I personally love anything chocolate. And I feel like if it didn't have chocolate in it, I wouldn't eat it. But it right now sounds very appealing to me. I've never tried this type of ice cream. But I just, on principle, can't get rid of chocolate, so I wouldn't sign it. How do you feel, guys? I think that's fair. I think, I don't know, I don't want to sound rude, but maybe start your own ice cream company if you don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's easier to start a petition. (laughs) Or find a new flavor. Or find a new flavor. There's probably 10 million, like, weird puns, Ben and Jerry flavors. I actually thought that this was, like, an oat milk flavor, which sounded good to me. I'm a big fan of oat milk. Mm -hmm. To me... Oatmeal cookie 
with brown sugar ice cream. This doesn't sound the most appetizing ice cream to me in general, but to me, the fudge flakes are sort of the least of the problems. Got it. Ben and Jerry have been doing this a long time. They were actually the speakers of my college commencement were Ben and Jerry. That is so cool. I thought it was James Earl Jones. Oh, you're right. You know what? It was James Earl Jones. And the year before me or the year after me was Ben and Jerry's. I was at both. You were at both. So it was probably the year before you graduated. Yeah, you're right. It must have been the year before because I remember a couple of like kids who were like opposed to like their like liberal politics, like turn their backs on Ben and Jerry, like like five <laughs> wow. kids. And it was like wow. a really big deal. And it's Where did like, you go to school? Ithaca College. So it's like, oh, yeah. Come on. But yeah. And James Earl Jones said at the end of his commencement speech, may the force be with you. Did they flip out? I think people flipped out. I did. Mel Gibson <laughs> was our speaker at my college. And occasionally you would hear freedom from the crowd. It was sort of sad. Mine was Bono. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He started his speech by being like, my name is Bono and I'm a rock star. That's amazing. <laughs> to all these, like nerdy UPenn kids. He also got an honorary degree, I believe. Yeah. Oh, this is something that I tried and I can't even remember if I was ever that successful with it, but I tried to do stand up about this. He got an honorary law degree. So it was like, what is he going to do with it? Is he gonna, <laughs> Are people going to be like... Sorry, I don't mean to try my stand-up out on you guys, but just the idea that people would be like, God, I really want to win my case. Maybe I'll have Bono come represent me. <laughs> now that I know this information, I would love to see him in court do some kind of musical magic. Yeah. I know. I wonder if he's used it at all. I graduated from college in 2004. He's had his law degree for almost 20 years now, his honorary <laughs> law degree. I wonder what kind of cases he's... I think you might still have to pass a bar, maybe. Right. That um, might be tough. Right, 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 right. I wonder, maybe he's taking the bar. But it looks cool in his office. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. It's cool. So yeah, I would say, I don't know. I also feel like Ben and Jerry's know a lot about ice cream flavors. I'm sure like, they're testing these. They mm -hmm. know the balance. So I'm not trying to discount this person's opinion, but to me, I'm sort of like, kind of like Vanessa, maybe just move on to the next flavor. Yeah. It seems like a lot of energy. Vanessa, what about you? Well, I was it Lisa Lowe? We had someone on this podcast who was saying that they love bits in ice cream. And I'm kind of the same way, meaning like they love to have little pieces of things in ice cream. And if there aren't pieces of thing, it's sort of like, what am I doing here? And I feel a little bit like that too. Like I much prefer an ice cream that has little bits of things in it. And so in this ice cream, it seems like the pieces of fudge are the little bits in it. And like you, Kate, I'm a true chocoholic. I'm never going to say take the chocolate out of this thing. So to me, chocolate mixed with oatmeal. Yes, please. So I would not sign this. Yeah, I think it's probably like a, a texture issue. It's probably, you know, there's probably a lot of reasons for the fudge flakes. I hope that woman finds her oatmeal, her plain oatmeal ice cream somewhere out there. I know, me too. I hope she finds a flavor she likes more. Or just, again, makes her own, right? Makes her own. Get an ice cream maker. They sell them everywhere now these days. <laughs> <laughs> So our last one, this one is called Make Crock Clogs Acceptable Business Professional Attire. This one is directed to President Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, so this is four years ago. There's eight signatures. <laughs> And it says, as Americans, we honor our freedoms day in and day out by exercising those rights so many before us fought and laid their life down for. And yet again, societal injustice has reared its ugly head. Comfort and fashion have been marred throughout many white collar and blue collar work environments. And it is time we put an end to this discrimination. Imagine a world where professionals are not forced to sacrifice comfort for looks, leisure for laces and forcible traction for clumsy ankle spraining death traps. What do you see? The end of world hunger, peace on the Korean Peninsula, endless possibilities. Please consider joining me in fighting the good fight. Wow. <laughs> so basically, they're just saying they want people to be able to wear Crocs with a suit? Yeah, Crocs with a suit. Yeah. Okay. And so they're using, yeah, they're, you know, using the language, I guess, around like civil rights and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, this this one is like getting into kind of like offensive territory, I guess, where it's like sometimes these can be kind of funny where they're like, I'm playing up something that obviously isn't important. This one is, yeah, a little bit, a little more rough. Questionable. Yeah. You know, I've never worn Crocs. I have a very narrow foot. They don't really suit me very well. If Crocs started to make a narrower version of their shoe, I might consider this. But I think I'm just pretending I'm on Shark Tank now, actually. <laughs> and for these reasons, I'm out. <laughs> I got to say, I always made fun of Crocs. I always thought they were not that cool. And then I got a pair. And they're great. Really? But I don't really wear them. Honestly, I wear them like in the yard. I wear them around the house. I don't feel the need to wear them 
really in public. And I feel like especially as like to like a business meeting or something. That's not to me what they're for. I mean, I would you ne- ever get one of those trinkets that go in the holes like for the Crocs? You know, I haven't seen those. Oh. People put things you can in the accessorize hole. your. Crocs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? No, I didn't know about that. But probably is not something I would do. I got the minimal pair, you know, just black, real low profile. Got it. Vanessa, what are your thoughts about making Crocs sort of more business professional? Well, here's the thing. I'm wondering what this person is really asking for and who they're really asking, because the thing is. I think this person could wear Crocs to work. I think what they want is to not be shunned by their colleagues if they wear Crocs to work. And it's sort of like, that's on your workplace. That's on society. Like, I know this person thinks they're just asking Donald Trump. I don't know what they think. (laughs) It's probably the best president to have asked. Probably the only one who would actually take this seriously. But I think like... The idea that this person can't wear Crocs to work is just not... I'd be surprised if this person in their rules at their work is not allowed to wear Crocs to work. But probably if they wore them to work, they would be sort of looked at funny, which is what they're probably responding to here. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this and the last petition is like, you could make your own ice cream. If it's so important to you, you could get a different job. You know, maybe we work from home. It's like these petitions are really asking like the world to change when it's something really like specific that affects you. Yes. Well, and I have a suggestion for this person, just like more on a personal level, they could Maybe do like a Friday, like put flyers up around your workplace. Like, hey, Friday is wear your Crocs to work day and see if it catches on. And then, you know, if people are enjoying it, maybe you can just kind of infuse it into the rest of the week. Start there. You know, totally. I mean, this person, what they're asking for is flawed from the start. Right. Because they want the president to say everybody can wear Crocs to work. Whereas like, that's not really the president's job. And also, obviously we have a new president now, but like, yeah, exactly what you're saying. It's like, get a job then where it's okay to wear Crocs to work. Like maybe this person now, because of the pandemic and stuff is working from home and can wear Crocs every day. I think a lot of people dress more comfortably now because of even when they go into work because of, you know, the pandemic and and having worked from home for so long or whatever. I guess my point is just that, If this person wants to change how society looks at Crocs, you know, good luck. (laughs) And I think also using terms like discrimination and stuff is not a good way to get your point across. Like, because that's like obviously a very real and serious thing. And I feel like equating this, like even if you're kind of being tongue in cheek, is like not not really cool. Yeah, it really paints a poor picture of this person. Go ahead, Kate. I was just going to say, I think it's also a really good point, Vanessa, that the pandemic maybe has just solved this person's problem. Yeah. yeah. All, you know, might not, might be wearing Crocs right now very happily at the, as they type from their computer at their home desk, you know? Yeah. So I just think, again, like it's hard to go to change.org and ask for a change in society and try and make it sound as important as other things that are in change.org that are actually. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to make a petition like this, you need to like be very self-aware of how silly it is and not try to like elevate it. You know what I mean? How many signatures does this one have? This has eight signatures are trying to get to a hundred, but it's been four years. So that's about <laughs> two a year. So probably 50 years from now, right? Yeah. 50 <laughs> years from now, they might hit a hundred. You know, I wish them luck. Okay. So I think that now we can all vote on which one we would sign of these three. And I don't even think I have to ask, but Kate, if you had to sign one of these petitions and I'll read them to you again, they are remove explicit rating on Funky Town. Number two, remove fudge flakes from Ben and Jerry's Oat of This Swirled Ice Cream now. And number three, make crock clogs acceptable business professional attire. Which one would you sign? Funky Town all the way. Jonah? Yeah, I got to go with Funky Town. I mean, to me, that's the only really legitimate petition here. And yeah. What about you, Vanessa? I'm going to say remove the explicit rating on Funky Town as well. I think we're all in agreement because these other two petitions seem like (laughs) they don't even need to be petitions. But yeah, Kate, we promoting anything? Where yeah, can where can find people you find you, Kate? We had so much fun with you and we oh, want to know. Oh, thanks. Where- thanks for having me. You will find me dancing to Funky Town and <laughs> celebrating the 4th of July. Actually, yeah, I don't really have too much to promote at the moment other than you can find me on Instagram and I have my art and my cartoons on my other Instagram, which is playing with Makuchi. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Thanks. Kate is an incredible artist for those of you who don't no, know. No, I, I don't know. But I did make your parents' anniversary gift and I'm glad they like it. Yeah, they love it. It's, it's great. It's like hung up in a very prominent place, place in their house. 
That means a lot. <laughs> well, that was really fun, you guys. Thanks so much to Kate for joining us and to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe to the podcast and keep an eye out for next week's episode of How Did We Get Weird, where we will discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural touchstones like radio calling contests. Kate and Jonah, happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for coming, Kate. You're the best. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.